Chapter 16 of The Romance of Modern Electricity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jennifer Painter. The Romance of Modern Electricity by Charles R. Gibson. Chapter 16 Induction Coils Explained. If one holds onto the handle end of a poker while the other end is placed in a fire, one soon feels considerable heat passing to the hand, till the metal ultimately becomes too hot to hold any longer. We may say that the poker has conducted heat from the fire to the hand, and in the same way we may think of the telegraph wire conducting electricity from the battery to the distant telegraph instrument. In these connections, we speak of the conduction of heat and of electricity. But we receive heat from the sun over a space of millions of miles in which there is nothing to conduct the heat. As more particularly stated in another chapter, we receive the heat from the sun by means of the ether, which does not conduct heat at all. We picture the heat of the sun setting up waves or vibrations in the ether, which in turn sets up heat on the earth. We might say that the heat in the sun induces heat in the earth, and in the same way we find electricity in one body inducing electricity in a neighbouring body with which it is not in contact. In speaking of electricity which has been thus induced, we say it has been produced by induction, and so by an induction coil we mean a machine by which a current of electricity in one wire or coil will induce a similar current in a second or separate coil. One may naturally ask what advantage is to be derived by doing this. The result of a preliminary experiment seems rather disheartening. We fit up two coils, connecting one to a battery, and we place the second coil near it, this coil being attached to an instrument for detecting the flow of a current. The diagram, figure 10, shows this simple arrangement with a bell push inserted between the battery and number one coil, so that we may conveniently switch off and on the current at will. We know that as soon as we press the push, a current will flow in number one coil. We press the button, and watching the detecting instrument in the other coil, we see its indicator fall to one side, showing that a current of electricity has been set up in number two coil and it is clear that this current must have been produced by induction from the battery current in number one coil, as there is no connection between the two coils. Still keeping a finger on the push, we notice that the indicator has gone back to zero, showing that the current is no longer flowing in number two coil, although the battery current is still flowing in number one. When we let go the push, we notice the indicator in number two coil move once more, but this time in the opposite direction. And by repeating the experiment, we find that every time we make or break the battery current in number one coil, a momentary current is set up in number two coil. There is the same amount of current set up at make as at break, but the latter takes place in a shorter time and is therefore more intense. So to simplify matters, we will leave the current produced at make out of account altogether. We need only remember that each time we press and let go the push in number one coil, a momentary current is set up in number two coil. The quicker we press the push, 
the more of these transient currents do we set up, and if we could make them follow very closely at each other's heels, they would make practically a continuous current. We cannot hope to operate a bell push rapidly enough to get this effect, and so automatic contact breakers are required. The induction coil may be made to do this itself, as will be explained, or the make and break may be obtained by a small motor driven by a separate battery. Part of the circuit may consist of a metal point dipping into mercury, and the motor may raise and lower the point alternately, producing the necessary make and break. There are other methods, but first of all we wish to see what advantage an induction coil is going to give us. We may imagine number one coil sending out electromagnetic waves in the ether, and these waves, as they fall on coil number two, setting up a current in this coil. It is the changes in this field of influence which give rise to the induced current, for as long as the battery current keeps up a steady influence, no current is induced in number two coil, but only when the waves are being set up or withdrawn does the current appear in the neighbouring coil. The more of these waves or lines of force we can entrap, the better result we get, and we find the effect increased for every turn of wire we add to number two coil. So we make this coil a very fine wire in order to get a great many turns into the field of influence. If we made the two coils exactly alike, we should gain nothing, and even now we cannot hope to increase the amount of electricity, but we may alter its condition. We may think of the battery current in number one coil as an easy flowing current of considerable volume, while in number two coil we have a small current at a very great pressure. It is difficult to find any convenient analogy, but I think one may liken the process to that of a mechanical lever. A workman wishes to move a large stone, but finds it too heavy. He gets a simple bar of iron, and putting one end under the stone, he places some obstacle under the bar or lever near to the large stone, and then applying his energy to the free end of the lever, he finds he can easily move the heavy stone. From whence did he get the increase of power? Energy cannot be created by a simple iron bar or by any other means, but it is apparent that the workman moved the free end of the lever through a far greater distance than the stone was moved, so that he merely concentrated his energy. We might speak of the energy he put into several feet of movement being concentrated into several inches, and this may serve as a rough analogy of what an induction coil does. It cannot increase the energy, but it concentrates it and we have a very high voltage, or pressure, sometimes reaching over a million volts. A single battery cell gives a pressure of from one to two volts. When the principle of an induction coil is once grasped, the construction is readily understood. Number one coil, which is the battery circuit, is called the primary coil, or circuit, while the coil in which the current is to be induced is called the secondary circuit. The electromagnetic effect of the primary coil is increased about 30-fold by placing a piece of iron inside the coil. A bundle of iron wires is used as they magnetise and demagnetise quicker than a solid piece of iron does. The battery or primary circuit is wound around this bundle of wires, the coil being of course carefully insulated, or otherwise the current will not go round and round the coil as is desired. 
One may always think of the insulation being to the current what a pipe is to water or gas. The two ends of this primary coil are connected to the battery, there being a contact breaker inserted between one end and the battery, as was represented in the diagram, figure 10, by the bell push. The secondary coil of very fine wire is wound directly on the top of the primary coil, but very carefully insulated from it, and its two ends are left free, being merely finished off in convenient terminals, so that any desired piece of apparatus may be connected in circuit with this coil. As already indicated, the contact breaker may be worked by the induction coil itself, for the bundle of iron wires, becoming a magnet whenever the battery current flows round them, may be made to attract a piece of iron attached to a spring, which, when attracted forward, breaks the path of the current from the battery. Immediately the circuit is broken, the bundle of iron wires lets go the spring piece, which, coming once more to its normal position, allows the current again to pass, whereupon the spring is again attracted forward, and so the make and break is kept up continuously. The motion is exactly that of the gong stick in an ordinary electric bell, and it is the rapid to and fro movement of this spring that causes the monotonous hum in the air when an induction coil is at work. The breaking of the battery circuit might be accomplished by turning a wheel round, having contact pieces at intervals on its periphery, and indeed this method was employed prior to the automatic arrangement just described. One modern method is to give a rapid motion to a contact lever by means of a small motor driven by electricity. There are also electrolytic contact breakers now in use but the object of all is merely to obtain a rapid make and break of the battery circuit. The only other point to mention is that a condenser made up of insulated layers of metal foil is placed in the wooden base of the instrument to act as a laden jar. The induction coil is also supplied with a switch to turn off and on the battery current at will and also a commutator switch so that the direction of the current may be reversed. If a glass tube, from which the air has been as effectively withdrawn as possible, be now coupled to the induction coil, a beautifully luminous effect is produced in the tube. This phenomenon has led up to some most important uses of the induction coil, which will be dealt with in the following chapter under the title of Light That Does Not Affect the Eye. End of chapter 16